read a story a while back of a, a family who was, uh, I'll, I'll, I think they were in the back mountain, mountains of Virginia. They had lived in the back mountains and never, ever had gone into the city before. And the mom, I think, had won a contest where they got an expense-paid trip to New York City. Now, that's a pretty big deal if you've never been into the, any city except maybe Mount Pilot, but that's in North Carolina. Some of you know your Andy Griffith history there. But uh, <clears throat> so they went to New York City, and of course they were just mesmerized by everything they saw and the buildings and whatnot, and they toured around, and the, the sun went off into one of the big buildings there, and he was fascinated by these doors that opened up and people went into this little room and the doors shut and when they opened again, they were gone. <laughs> and he just watched them and people would go in those, that little room and the doors would shut. And sometimes they would open up and different people would come out of that little room. He was fascinated by that. And he went and got his paw. And said, Paul, you got to see this. I've never seen anything like this in my life. People go in and they come. And it's just, and so they stood there and watched this group of people go in this little room. The doors shut and a bunch of lights went off and numbers and the doors open and nobody was there. He said, man, I've never seen anything like that in my life either, Junior. They just were mesmerized. About that time, they saw this little old lady walk into that room and point, put, pick up her finger and push the button and the door shut. And they didn't know what was going to happen. And when the doors opened a few minutes later, a young, beautiful woman <laughs> appeared out of that little room. The dad looked at Junior and he said, Junior, go get Mama. It would be nice if change in our life could just happen that easy, wouldn't it? We just go in a little room, push a button, and we're transformed. But it doesn't happen that way. It happens through God, His grace, His Word, His Spirit. We're all in process. We're all being conformed as believers into the image of Christ. And one of the things that we're learning through James and the gospel on the ground, we're calling it, is is learning and seeing, and we just began a few weeks ago, in that much of what happens in our life, we have, certainly there's things that happen, many things that happen that we have no control over. But whatever does happen, we have a choice in how we will respond, right? We do have that choice in how we're going to respond. And uh, just by kind of way as introduction, you don't have to turn to it, you may want to make a note of it, but I was, uh, I was reading in, um, uh, I think it was Psalm 41, and it's a familiar psalm, so you can just listen as I uh, read it. But in Psalm 41, it's the psalm that starts off as a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. Know that psalm? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. But then he, the psalmist says in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil within me? Why are you cast down? Why are troubles, problems? But this is what he says. Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God. He goes on to say, I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says in faith, hope in God. You see what he's doing there? He's not living in some fantasy land that is immune from trials and troubles. He's really affirming what thousands of years later would be written by James when he talks about that to count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials. There's a decision that we make. There's a choice that we make. He's not... Remember, James is writing to a group of believers. James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, came to faith in Christ after the resurrection. And uh, he's the half-brother of... or the full son of Joseph and Mary, half-brother of Jesus. And he became uh, the pastor of the local church there in Jerusalem. And he begins writing about those believers who have been scattered. They have left because of the intense persecution that was happening at the time of believers. And almost kind of like you read it with a double take, he begins by saying, count it all joy. What do you mean count it all joy? That's the very opposite of what I want to do is consider it joy of what is happening to me, what is oppressing me, what is coming against me. But we've called this and because... The gospel is putting shoe leather to it. And that's what the book of James helps us do. Remember, the gospel in the believer's life is always moving. It's always pressing us further and further to live lives of genuineness and authenticity. To That, that as we believe the gospel, it isn't just getting us saved, but it's the transformation that keeps us saved, that ultimately with When we see Jesus face to face, we will be completely saved and and complete in Him. The gospel is the work that God has done. We didn't bring anything to it except our sin. You realize the only thing you contributed to your salvation is your sin? God did it. He rescued us from our destruction. And that is what we talk about when we talk about the gospel. And so as we look again and finish up this one that we did, this uh, message we didn't complete last week, I want us to look again in James chapter 1. And because you've already stood, I'm going to just, you can remain seated. And uh, we honor God's word with our our hearts and our lives. And uh, so if we break the ritual, it's still good. We still honor God, uh, whether we read sitting down or standing up. But I want you just to remain seated. Look with me in James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. These are believers that have been scattered because of persecution. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness or endurance have its full effect, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He or she is a double-minded man or woman unstable in all their ways. Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Speak to us from heaven through this word, this Bible, this book that you have given us. God, that you've breathed upon these words and the by the Spirit of God, making these words alive, that the heavens can speak to our hearts. You're mindful of our trials. You're mindful of what we're facing. You're mindful of a sparrow that falls to the ground. God, you notice everything. You know everything. And so, God, it's to you this morning that we sit at your feet symbolically to hear your voice through these written pages of your holy word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. One of the things last week in trying to bring a little definition, when you hear, I don't know if you're like me, but when you read those words, count it all joy, you're like, what? What is this, Pastor Wacko writing this book? I mean, what is he, crazy? But joy is not some hysterical laughing when you slam your hand in the door and you just kind of laugh and act like it. No, that's we may come to get the guys in the white jackets and get rid, you know, get you some help if that's your concept of just laughing in the sense of a hysterical denial of reality. No, the Bible does not deny reality. But when we talk about joy, um, let me give you this definition that I believe is helpful. I read it last week and I'll repeat it again. When we talk about joy, or not when we, but when the Bible talks about the concept of joy, like here in James and in the book of Philippians, Paul talks a lot about the joy of the Lord. This is what I believe is consistent with the Bible. This is what joy, biblical joy, I think is, helps us to define it. Joy, biblical joy, is the inner strength, resolve, contentment, that provides the believer, through the Holy Spirit, enabling them to endure, persevere, and overcome all circumstances, knowing that God is with them, God is above all, and that God will work all things together for my good and His glory. Did you catch that? It's that inner strength, that inner resolve, that contentment that is not held hostage by circumstances, that isn't just drifting through life with a victim mentality. And it's not denying that stuff happens, happens to all of us. But it's that, and and the reason I emphasize that it's through the Holy Spirit, because Galatians 5.22 says, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It must come from God. It isn't just the power of positive thinking. It does affect your thinking. But it must come 
as an impartation, maybe that's a better word, an impartation by the Spirit that enables you, like Paul could write in Philippians, being arrested under house arrest and looking at his prospects of future gospel endeavors with limitations and people he thought were his friends were working against him. You ever had friends work against Well, we won't go there. Uh, And what does he say? He says, I consider all these things that have happened to me for the benefit of the advancement of the gospel. Now, a guy does not say those things, that he looks at stuff that has happened to his life and say, you know what, I have a joy because I know that the advancement of God's purposes in my life, in my situation, and those around me are being advanced because of what I am going through, which might be some tough suffering, some tough trials. Where does that come from? It comes from God. It can only come from God. And so James, when he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The language in the Greek is that when trials come upon you, there's a suddenness, there's... You start your day, you got your coffee, you got your biscuit, you're on your way to work, you're doing your thing, and all of a sudden by 9.15 the world and you're, you know, you've gotten the call from the school, you've gotten the bank calling you, you've got your boss whining at you, stuff comes up on you, what are you going to do? Who are you going to call? My mind's crazy. It can go from verses to movies like that. James says... You ask God who gives you wisdom. When we talk about wisdom, wisdom is not the accumulation of knowledge. If that was all that we needed, we we should be in good shape. Wisdom is the right application of what we know. Wisdom, the wisdom of God, is seeing my world, this world, this situation... Through God's perspective. How can I see this? And sometimes it's just those moments where we say, God, I need your wisdom. I need to see this through your eyes. I need to know how to proceed, how to navigate forward from your perspective. And that can only come from an impartation of God's Spirit into your mind and heart And that will give and has given me and will give that peace that passes what? All, in other words, it just bypasses our rational. And you say, have you ever said this? You know, I, I probably should be in more of a panic. I should be more upset, but I just have this peace. I can't explain it. I just have this. Is that because you're popping something or take you know or you're as Sammy would say you're jacked up on something where does that come from well for the believer it comes from the spirit it comes from God that's the wisdom of God we need biblical wisdom isn't just knowing the mysteries of the godhead and their no the wisdom of God is very clear the bible says that in uh, just one verse and not many. It, says the, it talks about the fear of the Lord. Uh, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, Job 28, 28. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. 
And to depart from evil is understanding. It's, it's knowing God's perspective and knowing how to navigate my way around or through this situation. Wisdom that James is talking about isn't the skill of how to put this together and how to, how to understand the complexities of a machinery or an operation or something. The wisdom that James is referring to is the skill, listen, that enables us to live obedient lives for the glory of God. God, I need you to show me how to navigate through this in accordance with your with being obedient to your word, glorifying you. I need your help. I need your wisdom. And so that's what James instructs us. And I won't, for time, I won't go back and repeat. Uh, you can listen to it online, but... Let me just pick up where a little we left off and then we'll finish the text here. Is that we need to be reminded that God is our source of wisdom. We go and we, you know, we call the neighbor, we'll ask the mailman, we'll ask the person, you know, we just ask, what do you think? What do you think? And as that last resort, kind of like men do at Christmas, when they put the bike together and they've got 18 screws they don't know what to do with, I say, you know what, maybe I ought to pull out the instructions and find out how this should go. See, all the men are nodding their heads. See, we're just, we're, we're, we're wired that way. But our first response that the Word of God is instructing us, it is pushing us, the gospel, the redemptive work of Jesus working in our lives is saying, look, come boldly before the throne of grace. Ask God, who is rich in wisdom, to give you the resource you need Right now, He will give it. But we've got to know God. We've got to know that our source comes from God. The Bible says, For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2.6. Proverbs, 31 Proverbs. You want something to get your devotional daily time in the Word? Read a proverb a day for a month, 31 days. And if you have a short month, read two. Splurge and read two chapters. It'll do us good, right? Proverbs 21.30, there is no wisdom, listen to this, there is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. In other words, worldly wisdom, sometimes we don't say that in church, worldly, the, the cultural idea of what is wisdom is so screwed up. It, it just, do you ever wake up or sometimes watch the news and think, did I go to sleep and wake up on another planet somewhere? Do you ever feel that way? I mean, my goodness, we celebrate craziness. You know, I feel so sorry for Bruce Jenner. They're obvious, and don't make, you know, again, and I, there is obviously a very troubled human being there that has somehow been gripped into thinking that changing from a man into a woman will bring happiness. And yet our culture celebrates that. Look in James, just flip the page over to round this out about the wisdom of God. Look at James 3, look at verse 13. We'll get to this way later, but it fits here. Who is wise and understanding? 
James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, don't boast and don't be false to the truth. Don't be a phony. That's what he's saying. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from what? Above. <clears throat> but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be what? Disorder and every vile practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above, he repeats it again, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. It makes sense often. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You see, the wisdom that James is talking about must be that which comes from God. In the Bible, Paul said that the wisdom of God, remember what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, where he says about that the, 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 the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world, to the culture. I mean, the things that Christians believe about marriage, about happiness. Oh my goodness, you're a dinosaur. Nobody buys into that stuff anymore. What do you mean a literal creation that God spoke? What do you mean that's just nonsense? Nobody in their right mind believes that. We've advanced so far. The wisdom of God is foolishness, craziness. And my friend, there is, I should say, not coming a day. We are living in the day in which it won't be just a matter of that's your view, that's our view, but there's an aggressive assault against the truth in our culture. We gain wisdom from God through His Word. The Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. I like that. It's breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man, the woman of God, might be complete and equipped for every good work. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we blow the dust off on it on Sunday. Bring it. But we don't exhaust the resources. Do you realize, and you hear me say this hopefully every Sunday, we open this book, this is the privilege of having God speak. God, speak to us. Speak to me. Help me get this word into my mind in my heart that I might walk in obedience and accordance and in pleasing with you. And so verse 6 of James 1. We've got to know God if we're going to seek His wisdom by His Spirit. It's for those whose hearts are really His. Notice what it says, verse 6. But let them ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. You ask in faith. An unbeliever can't do that. 
They can't operate in faith. They might be able to derive, you see those books, Jesus the businessman, the Jesus, the CEO Jesus. All, there's certainly things that you can derive of success and life skills and all that, but you will not get the wisdom from above unless you are born again, unless your heart belongs to Him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, that the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned, learned, received. The natural man, that's language that means the one who is not belong to Jesus, the one that is not born again, whose hearts are not warmed by the Holy Spirit and relationship of what God has done in the gospel, that person, the natural, earthly, cannot receive any of this because they are spiritually discerned. It's like trying to get FM with an AM radio. For those of you who remember what radios are. I feel like I'm in a time warp sometimes in my references up here, but I said that to somebody one time, and they go, what's an FM? Oh, that's, that was encouraging to me, you know, how far life has moved on without me. James goes on to say that we ask God in wisdom, in faith, but look at the verse. Verse 6, we ask in faith with no doubting. The Greek there literally means that it says that without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And the Greek literally is, he is a double-souled person. Verse 8. Look down at verse 8. I I skipped it, but let me read verse 8. Verse 7. For that person must not not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8. He is a double minded man. A double, remember man is in a generic sense here. He is a double minded person, man or woman, unstable in all their ways. And that word in the Greek double minded means double soul. Jesus said no one can serve two what? Two masters. Why? Because you will either hate the one and love the other. Have you ever had to have two or three jobs and sometimes one cut close to getting to the other? And before long, one of the bosses wasn't real crazy about your situation. One liked, you know, the one they were getting irritated because you can't serve two masters. You can't be a double-minded person. And if that is the way that you're approaching God to say, well, you know what, I'm interested in God's wisdom, but I'm going to kind of shop around and see if I like it. That's what a lot of people do. A lot of people that seek counsel from a pastor, an elder, sometimes they come and they just want to, you know, I just want to consider all my options. How many of you ever watch Shark Tank on TV? Doesn't it make you sick when the guys have a good deal and they blow it because they say, well, I want to hear what other offers there are. And And then whoever's made them the offer says, well, forget it. And they've blown it just in a matter of seconds. Sometimes that's what we, we do. We say, well, you know what, God, I'm interested in what you say, but I want to just consider all my options. I want to see what else is out there. What are you doing? You're a double-souled person. You're, you're, you're not solely committed to hearing from God. You want to kind of just see what, 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 you know, what might fit your situation. You're, you're shopping around. You're shopping 
for answers. You want to weigh your options. If that answer fits what you want to do, then you'll follow it. If it doesn't, eh, I'm going to find somebody else. And guess what? You'll find another church. You'll find another pastor. You'll find another counselor. Eventually, you'll find somebody that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. I think of the rich young man in Matthew 19. I think you know the story. Remember, he came to Jesus, and he was really, uh, he was really pumped up about this Jesus thing. He was really interested in that. He's had a lot of money, did a lot of things, traveled, had everything that he wanted. There was just something lacking in his life, and he was a good religious guy, and he heard about Jesus and thought, you know, that's what I need. I really just kind of need to pour myself into a, a cause. And this Jesus sounds like just the guy. So he comes to Jesus and it says a man uh, came to him and as a rich young man, he came to him and said, uh, he said to Jesus, he said, what must I do? That was the first little problem there. What must I do? Can't do anything, pal. What must I do to have or earn eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. If you would enter life, you must keep the commandments. The young man said, which ones? And Jesus said, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Really just all of them. The young man said to him, all, all, all these I have have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then you come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, great wealth. He didn't like that counsel. He didn't like what he heard. It didn't fit into what he wanted to do. Jesus, being God of very God, he just said, I've obeyed everything, and yet Jesus put his finger on the fact that he never got off first base because his heart was wrapped up in his wealth and his riches. And so, Jesus, I want to add you to my stuff. Need a little fulfillment. Need to be a better salesman, so I thought I would kind of get into this religious thing a little bit. I want to add Jesus to my stuff. Jesus can't be and won't be added to your junk. He's not going to be added to your stuff. He either is Lord or He's not. And it says that He went away. He didn't like what He heard. He was shopping for something, and He didn't like what Jesus had to say. I like the fact that it says... In James 1, at verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, or to ask God, go to God, and God gives generously to all without, re- without reproach, and it will be given to him. He gives all without reproach. In other words, God is a generous God. He's not giving and saying, What do you mean? You're coming back again? Didn't I tell you that already? He's not accusatory. That's the grace 
that James, the gospel, is that we can freely come even when we've blown it, when we've run the red lights for months ignoring God. We can come and he's not going to say, well, wait a minute. I don't know. You ever had a stingy parent? Now, don't look at anybody. Freeze. And you just dreaded asking them for something. Are you kidding me? I just gave you $50 two weeks ago. You're back. You see what's channeling through my life, right? Children. God is not like that. He gives generously, graciously, without accusing, without reproach, without making you feel guilty and ashamed. We come boldly into that room of grace. And He's ready, willing, and able to give us wisdom. And so, to obtain wisdom, to endure trials joyfully, we ask God in faith to meet our need. That's what James recommends by the Word of God. He says when you're in those various trials, temptations he'll talk about later. So no, it's the faith of your faith that's being tested. And we don't know what to do. Here's a great, here's a great truth. James says, ask God. There's three parts to this. First of all, we have to ask. That's what he says. Ask. There's no magic formula. There's no incantation that you must mutter. There's no certain phrases that I have to say. He doesn't say that you have to work for it. You have to buy it to get wisdom. It's not for sale. It's a gift. He says, ask. That's where the first thing is. Often our pride is of such that we don't want to ask God. And I think sometimes it goes back to why James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that this God gives generously without a reproach because He doesn't want you to come and ask with a sense of guilt and shame. He says, no, God is a generous, gracious God. You come and you ask. But ask God. Ask of God. We are, the Bible says that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through Mary. We don't have to go through some TV preacher that if I send in my seed offering, then I get a special leg up on a prayer. Guys, don't buy into that nonsense. You come yourself before God, freely accessible through the blood of Christ. But he's made the way wide open. You don't have to come and the pastor, elders, we don't have special little prayers. If you're born again, you have as much access as I do. Do you believe that? I'm not sure sometimes we act like it because we don't do it. Or we we, we just think, you know, if, if I just... If I send that offering in to help that guy buy new cameras and a bigger building, then God's, I think I'm going to get more favor. No. He's just probably getting more debt. That was free. Peter says, by asking God, 2 Peter 1, 3-4, just make the note and read it later. His divine power 
has granted to us, he's writing to believers, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, through them, you, me, may become partakers of the divine nature of God, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Ephesians 3.12, it says, "...in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through Him by faith." We can come and ask of God boldly. Remember, I was reading in John just some selected verses at how many times Jesus said, "...look, ask in My name." Don't underestimate the power of the name of Jesus. Why? Because that is a, we have a legal right, a legal access by using that name. And remember, when we say in Jesus' name, that means you can put Jesus on what you're asking. Don't say in Jesus' name, help me get a new wife. If you have a present wife, let me just clarify that. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing uh, in my name. He repeats it in the next verse. Ask and you will receive that your joy, there it is, may be, may be full. In that day, he says it three times. John 16, 23, 24, and 26. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf because you can ask all by yourself in my name. Don't deny the power that God has made available. But sometimes we don't ask and we make excuses like, God, I'm so unworthy. Yes, you are. That's what Jesus did. He made you worthy. That's why we need Jesus. Because we have nothing in of ourselves to offer. That's why we ask in Jesus' name, procuring all that Jesus has done. But I think sometimes we make those excuses because we really need an excuse to disobey. Oh, I'm so unworthy. I, you know, I hear that and say, hey, I agree, you are unworthy. But he's, he is worthy. He is worthy. He is righteous. He is holy. And in Him you have life. Every Christian has sinned. Every Christian has failed. Every Christian is unworthy. We don't come to God based on what we do. That's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is the wonderful celebration of what God has gloriously done and accomplished for men and women who could never do this for themselves. It's God's work. That's why we celebrate. That's why we come with freedom on the merit of what Jesus did in His blood and His righteousness. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him or her. But let him ask in faith with not, no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to what? To please Him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's substantive. It's not, again, like the little girl was asked in Sunday school. What is faith? She says, oh, I know what faith is. That's believing in things you know aren't true. Some of you, that's your definition of faith. When I talk about, and the Word talks about the gospel, what Jesus did, you by faith says, I believe it. I receive it. I accept it. And I'm going to act on what I believe. And I'm going to ask in Jesus' name. And I'm going to ask Him to give me wisdom and the joy that comes from the wisdom of God. James says, if you doubt, you're like the surf of the sea, verse 6. Driven and tossed by the wind. The water, the waves, the surf, there's no inner power governing them. They are totally at the will of the wind. And he says, some that are reading this, hearing this, your life is at the will of your circumstances. You're tossed, you're turned, you're you're just being blown all around. There's no stability because you're constantly being blown from side to side. That's the person who does not ask in faith for the wisdom and truth of God to be imparted to their life. Verse 7, James says, That person who's double-minded ought not to expect that he or she will receive anything from the Lord. And that's why when we are tempted to seek wisdom apart from God, we need to remember our first parents, Adam and Eve. Remember Eve in the garden? Satan's approach was, did God really say? Did he really say that, Eve? Eve wasn't, you know, there, there's, we're, we're a lot like Eve. We're always, we, we, we want a shortcut. We want a shortcut. We want, to, we want to go in the elevator, push a few buttons, and come out zapped and changed. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts around what God has described and what He has commanded and what He has said. And so the first place we would begin is humbly coming before Him and saying, God, I need Thee. Remember the old hymn, I need Thee, I need Thee every hour. Oh, Lord, I need Thee. Help me, Lord. To quote another hymn I mentioned last week, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I love those old hymns. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And then a few lines later, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it. For thy courts above. He already knows our hearts. He knows us well. He made us. He created us. And that's why James, in his wisdom, full of the Spirit, full of the Word of God, acting in consistency with the gospel of Christ, says that, look, when you face all this stuff, when you face those trials, consider it joy, consider it an opportunity For God to impart into you His very presence in the midst like that Daniel who could stand in that lion's den and sleep better than the lions. Why? Because he knew God. 
And God had imparted to him, I believe, that peace that we so desperately need. And when we lack that wisdom, when we lack God's perspective, we ask God to speak to us. We ask God to impart to us. If you're not a Christian, you need Christ. If you are a Christian, you need Christ. The whole world is in the same boat. We need Jesus. We need Christ. You do not know Jesus is all you need till Jesus is all that you have. And so if you are being prone and you say, that fits my life right now, I'm tossed about. Listen, I don't want to offend anybody, but I can read some of your Facebook's stuff and see you get knocked around and blown around all over creation. That's one of the things I don't like about it because I just soon not know some things. <laughs> and what everybody eats and does and whatever. But sometimes people use Facebook as their public therapy. Grow up. Grow up. God has given us perfect knowledge in this book. And I don't mean just dead, cold knowledge. I mean, when I say this book, I mean word and spirit. But we want to we just be cast and drift and bounce around. And it, it feels good for people to say, oh, yes, you're such a victim. And some are. There's no denial of that. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? James says, ask God for help. Ask God to give you and me what we need. He will do it. But if not, you're double-minded. And if you don't do that, don't suppose, verse 7, don't assume that you will receive anything from the Lord. If we can't obey Him in the simplicity of asking His help or going through and driving through hell, don't suppose that we'll receive anything because as James would go on to say later, and he talks about faith and works. He says, you believe that there's one God? You do well. Even the demons in hell believe that. But faith without works, not faith that comes from works. Faith is responding in application of saying, I take the truth of God. Just like Lynette said, excellent testimony. The Word of God was not easy to obey. Hello? But you obeyed. You sought wisdom from God. You got wisdom. You put it into practice. You put in action. You testified to what God had did because of that wonderful truth. Let's stand to our feet and...